Good morning. It's good to have the orchestra back, and uh, good to good to see them. Good to see all of you here this morning. Welcome to all um, visitors. We want to welcome Eduardo and Linda. I got to meet them this morning, and any other anybody else who might be visiting with us. Welcome to anybody who might be visiting on on Zoom, and all those who are attending via Zoom. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I wanted to make um, a couple of announcements. First of all, first of all, I'll let um, if I could, if we could have a, a mic, I want to let um, let Sharon go ahead and make an announcement about the flowers that that they're taking care of out in the lobby. <laughs> okay, we're a little late this year, but um, we're selling tulips and daffodils, and it has to be uh, in by next Sunday. And the quality, the, the amount is seven fifty each, either for tulips or daffodils, whichever you want. And uh, your name should go on the envelope. And if you want a tribute, please print that on the envelope in the back or put it inside the envelope. And uh, either return it to me or put it in my mailbox by next Sunday because I must uh, have the amount, um, total amount put in by Monday morning uh, to Long's. So, um, or if you have any questions, you can always call me. So, thank you. Thank you. Donna and I will be out on the uh, outs in the um, entrance um, after church. Yep. Okay. And for those who who may not be familiar with it, this um, is just purchasing flowers for yourself, but they'll be used to to grace the the sanctuary during Easter. it's not a fundraiser or anything like that. Um, but yeah, since, since it's such a short amount of time, they're going to go ahead and set up, see them after church if you're interested in some tulips or daffodils. Um, I thought it would also, I thought I'd also mention, I put something up on the, the bulletin board out in the lobby. It's a survey. It's just gaining some, just getting some idea of if there's any interest in Harrisburg senators. Um, they have uh, something called Faith Week, a week in June, and we can go as a group, as a church, go attend some of their, or go at, attend one of the games or a couple of the games if it turns out that way, whatever. But I'd just like to get your interest. I'd like to go there. I'd like to set something up so that we go, but I'd like to know what is the best evening or one of the days is actually a noon, a Tuesday noon game. So let me know which, which days you're interested in, and then I'll use that to gauge um, which, which day we actually go, and I'll follow up and let you know that. But just for the next week or two, I want to leave it out there and so that you can tell me if you have any interest, and if there's enough interest, we'll plan on going. And quite honestly, what I'm planning to do is, if we're planning to go, and especially if it's in the evening, then I'd like to get in touch with Cumberland Vista and invite the residents to come and join us, because they're a lot of fun at a Senators game. I've been able to attend a couple of games with them, and they just love love being there and being at the game, and I think you would enjoy being with them as well. So anyhow, just help me out, fill out that survey out there the, the, on the bulletin board. I also wanted to make sure that there's, that, that there's no mistake, no misunderstanding. Um, we still got one more week before my surgery, so this week is a regular week. We'll have Bible study tonight. We'll have coffee shop theology Wednesday morning. We'll have, um, we'll have our Lenten service Wednesday evening, and then I'll see you again next Sunday, then, then things will change. But just wanted to make sure that, that there wasn't any kind of um, misunderstanding there. This is a regular week. 
This Saturday morning is the LCCM uh, benefit breakfast. Um, also Saturday, midday, there will be a funeral service in here for, um, for Pastor Robert Brown. I know you had received an email um, from Cindy and, and Bob about um, some issues that were going on. He passed away on Saturday, um, or it might have been Friday. Friday or Saturday, he passed away. I got a call from Cindy, and they want to use the, the church for a funeral service on, on Saturday and then a light reception afterwards. I don't have any details other than they plan on it being about midday. So as I know more, I'll follow up and, and make sure that we get the word out. I'll ask Jenny to, to get it all out to you because um, I know it sounds like many of you might be interested and you are very familiar with them. So anything else, anything else that ought to be mentioned this morning for our schedule? Any announcements that need to be made? Okay. Well, then let's, let's prepare ourselves for, for worship here this morning. Let's pray. Good morning, Father. It's so good to be here. It's so good to just stop after such a busy week, to just stop and to sit and to rest in your presence. Father, we're here because you're worthy of our praise. That's where the word worship even comes from. And so we want to be here in a way that shows you that we recognize your worthiness. We praise you. We love you, Lord. And so everything that is done here this morning, I pray that it's, uh, it's to your honor and to your glory. And so we gather with that in mind and with you in mind. Amen. And our call to worship is from Psalm 111, the first three verses. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. And this morning, that's us. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. I'm hoping you've been pondering, especially if you were here Wednesday night and you have your Think God, Thank God paper that I gave you. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. I invite you to stand if you're able, and let's sing along with our praise band and lift our praises this morning. Good morning, good morning. So uh, we haven't really did this song in, in a little while. It's a repeat after me song. Um, I'm understanding that maybe the repeat after me parts, it might say like women or ladies up there. If you want to repeat or not repeat, we'll leave it up to you. But clap along anyway. Listen, I will love you, I will love you. 
Justice and praise 
somebody beside you that they're glad they're here. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll take we'll take time now to um, to lift up praises. What praises do we have this week? Let's praises and then we'll then we'll get into prayer requests. What kind of praises do we have from this week? Jeff. As you see, Rebecca's home on spring break, so it's really nice to have her home. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yesterday, me and the kids went up to hunting camp, and they got to see uh, some and some calves and some chickens and some turkeys. So it was a fun time. Okay, yeah. Glad that our daughter in North Dakota is feeling a lot better. Okay, yeah. Praise God for that. We had a uh, a good, I, I don't know exactly how you would word it, but yesterday we, we did have a, a group of people that came out and we walked around the, the Lingle, Lingle Avenue Elementary School. We did pray as we talked about. 
um, a good, good hour of, of walking around the school and praying for every possible facet of the school that we could think of. So that was, that was a, a good, good opportunity to, to talk to God. Yes. It's great to see the orchestra back together up there. We've missed them the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was good to see all of them. Yes. Okay, well, we'll take more prayer, praise, praises as well, but now do we have any prayer requests as well? That... Oh, want to flip a coin? Oh. <laughs> Let's keep the Connie Berger, her dad died, and her fam- keep her family in prayer. And I would like prayer for myself. I'm going to be having my second uh, cataract surgery on Tuesday. Okay. And of course, we have the the family of the Browns, of of Reverend Brown, who has... Asking for prayer for my wife, Joyce. She goes in for her second procedure for her uh, heart uh, procedure, so... This happens on Tuesday morning, so we're hoping for the best for her. Okay. I like prayers for a little nine-year-old named Maddie. She has growth issues, and they're going to do brain surgery on her. Um, She goes March 10th to the surgeon. Um, Then they will set up the procedure. But please keep Maddie and her family and the doctors in prayers. Okay. Any others? Yes. Uh, yes, I'd like to ask prayer and uh, that for my daughter-in-law, Connie, and my son, David. Her father passed away this past Friday, very suddenly, uh, about two weeks ago. The doctors told him he would have two to five months, and he didn't make it two weeks. Yeah. And this funeral is this coming Friday, uh, with the viewing Friday evening and the service then Saturday. Um, there are five children total and a lot of grandchildren and everybody, and they're all very upset because they were very close to him. So I would appreciate prayer for the whole Panza family. And just a prayer and a praise on the end. It's nice to be here to see all my church family and everything, and it's great to hear that everybody's doing pretty good. And I praise the Lord for that. Thank you. I asked for prayer um, for Max Miller this morning. Joyce said that uh, he was feeling very weak and she did not want to leave him alone. Um, Another person, uh, Cheryl Frankovic, who used to come occasionally to our Gospel Light Sunday School class, she had hip surgery and uh, is back in the hospital again for the third time. She, the clamps reopened, and this time uh, she's really down, depressed. Thank you. Praise too that my tulips are coming up, and so are my (laughs) other plants. Thank you. Okay. Um, I have a a prayer request that I'm going in for the ninth for two more tests 
but I do have a praise that the previous two tests came back normal. So after these two, hopefully we'll learn what the recourse to do next. So thank you. Okay. I have a prayer request. Um, it is from the gentleman that's sitting behind me, and now I lost it. <laughs> Here it is. Okay, Eduardo Ostalaza. I hope I said that right. He's requesting prayer for himself um, on wisdom and how to get closer to God and on how to better communicate with people through the language barrier. And also his three sons. These are biblical names, so I know I'm going to mess them up, but Lemuel, Abimel, and Nahiliel. Those are his three sons. He has prayer requests for them to draw closer to God. Okay? Thank you. And I would request prayer for my husband, Mike. He is really struggling these last few weeks with the arthritis pain. It's really keeping him down. Thank you. Um, from Zoom, Jim Rothline asked for prayer because he lost his job on Friday and is facing an uncertain future. And also for me and my family, my father's currently in the hospital with a kidney stone and some interesting infections going on. So just wisdom for the doctors and um, patience for my mom because she just had her second cataract surgery, so she can't drive right now either. So just that they get everything that they need in order so that he can hopefully come home. Okay. All right. So let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, the the list is very long this morning. And so we thank you first of all for all those things that came to mind as praises. We recognize that that you're in all things, that you're in all the, all the good things, and you're there with us through some of these troubles. Pray, Lord, that you'll be with, with Sharon and with, with Joyce. And then, Father, we, we pray for Maddie, this nine-year-old. We pray for you to just touch her and, and heal her and to lead these surgeons. We pray for Max, that you'll give him strength. We pray for Cheryl that they can take care of repairing whatever came open, the clamps and so forth, with her hip surgery. We ask you to be with Crystal as she goes through more tests. And Mike, touch him, give him comfort from his pain. We pray for Jim and that he will find another job. And Father, just seems that there's so many 
so many things there that we just pray that you'll, you'll find a job for him that can be stable, one that can last and give him some security. But in the, in the process and throughout, I pray that you'll just continue to remind Jim that, that you are his security, that everything else about the world is going to come and go. And unfortunately right now that means the jobs are coming and going. But I pray, Lord, that through it all, you will remind him that you are still his security. We pray for, for Amy and her, for her father that's back in the hospital, healing for the mother with the cataract surgery. and Just so many people with so many medical issues, Lord. Pray for those that haven't even been mentioned that are on people's minds. We want to pray especially, too, for Eduardo. He had the, the courage to, to come to a new church this morning. He saw the Jesus save sign, and he was drawn in. You draw him in here, Lord. And so I pray for him and for his family. And just pray that, that all of us, you will guide us, lead us, draw us closer to you, and that all of us will make an effort to to grow closer to you. It's a, it's a mutual effort in that as we walk closer to you, you draw closer to us. And so I pray for, for Eduardo and his family and his sons and that there would be any reconciliation that might be necessary or especially just in a, a, a relationship with, with you. And I pray for all those out there who are lost, all family members. We, we have many families of our own, many family members of our own who sometimes we just avoid, avoid the subject. Father, give us strength. Give us courage to, to share your good news and help us to know the timing, help us to know the, the right way to tell it, but let us not hold it back. Let us not hide it. We're not ashamed of you, Lord. We love you. Help us. Help us to, to share that with everyone that we're around. Father, we do praise you too for the way you take care of us and the way you provide for us. And so our offering this morning is given to you, and we pray that you'll accept it and that you'll bless it. And Father, we pray all of these requests, we lift them all up to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, again, if you're able, I invite you to stand as we sing our first hymn, hymn number 49.
You may be seated. Thank you, Thelma, for raising that praise about the flowers. It went right along with, with the hymn. Well, I know that my... It sounds like maybe my timing's a little off when I start the sermon, but it's um, just where we are in this, uh, in this walk that we're performing with, with Jesus and with the disciples in Luke. I want to start off by talking about something in our history. On July 4th, 1776, the 13 colonies that formed the States of America, and they were they were seen then as, as a multiple, these states, of these United States, and it wasn't until later that it became known as the United States, just a little tidbit. But in this point, it's just 13 individual colonies that formed the states of America. They signed a document that pointed out why they could no longer be ruled by the king of Great Britain. And in it, they claimed, quote, the history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations. They listed 27 specific things that he did, which created what they referred to as an establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. Now, of course, because of the date and the fact that I'm talking about a a document and so forth, you know that I'm talking about the Declaration of Independence. Within that declaration, the following words were written. They wrote this, a prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. They were saying this prince, as they labeled him, a prince like this is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Those are very strong words. And today, in our sermon text in Luke chapter 11 verses 14 through 23, we're going to see Jesus basically saying the same thing. He says that the prince of darkness is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. So he gives his critics a declaration of him dependence. Let's pray and then we'll jump into the word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's found in it. Father, I ask you to help me to share this truth boldly. And I ask you to help us to hear your message clearly. Move us to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our study of Luke walking along with Jesus and his disciples, and today's text tells us about another confrontation. This time, it's all about Jesus' authority. First, we're going to see the critics questioning Jesus' authority. Then Jesus will clarify his authority. And then finally, Jesus invites his hearers to claim his authority. So we'll start by taking a look at how people were questioning Jesus' authority. Now as we get started and we jump into verse 14, this is right after, if you're looking at your Bible, it's right after a whole lot of red words. It seems like Luke is telling us all about what Jesus has been saying. He's been teaching his disciples um, how how to pray, 
They had asked him about how to pray. He gave them some example, an example. He gave them some ideas about the way they should live. And then it's like almost like when the TV says, you know, we interrupt this program to bring you, and it's like they're jumping into some activity that's happening somewhere. They're on site. We're right in the middle of something that's happening because verse 14 says, Jesus was driving out a demon. So it's like it's already happening. It doesn't lead up to it much. But Luke wants us to know that Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. So Jesus has come upon a man who can't speak because the man is possessed by a demon that's mute. So Jesus drives out the demon, and the proof of the miracle is that the man spoke. Now Luke doesn't tell us what the man said because that's not really the most important part of the story. Now it is to the man. I'm sure he was very thankful, and I imagine he gave out some kind of um, exclamations of gratitude. You know, I'm sure there was a, a praise God or a God is good in there somewhere. But Luke, all Luke tells us is that the man who had been mute spoke. That's all he really wants to mention at the moment. Because the point is that Jesus drove out the demon and the man was healed. This isn't the first time. Maybe, maybe Luke is just, you know, he's dri- driven out so many other demons. He's done so many other miracles. And, oh, by the way, he's driving out another demon. <laughs> Whatever the situation is, Luke's not focusing on that. He wants to focus on what happens behind it. So he drove out the demon. Now the crowd that was there, maybe they haven't seen this sort of thing before because it says the crowd was amazed, which kind of causes a problem then for the Pharisees who are there. So verse 15 tells us, but some of them said, by Beelzebul, or your translation might say Beelzebub, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Now, maybe if there weren't so many people there, the Pharisees would have just said that it didn't really happen. There was some other kind of logical explanation for what happened, right? But they can't deny it. Jesus just performed this miracle right there in front of everyone. They can't deny that he performs miracles, and they can't deny that he just performed an exorcism. He just drove out a demon right there in front of all these witnesses, So the Pharisees can't deny that Jesus is capable. So what can they do? Well, think about a time that you've ever watched CSI or maybe some of my more mature friends. Maybe you remember watching Perry Mason, um, something like that. Any kind of these crime shows that involve a courtroom scene. And if the evidence is in the defendant's favor, if there's just so much evidence that works for the defendant, what does the prosecution do? Well, their next step is to go after the defendant's character, right? That's what the Pharisees are doing. They can't deny the evidence. Jesus just performed the miracle right there in front of all those people. Everybody saw it. There's too many witnesses. So instead, the Pharisees try to discredit him. They try to attack his authority or who he's working for, right? They claim that he's driving out demons in the name of Beelzebul. Now, Beelzebul or Beelzebub, is, it's a, a pagan god. And he's known as the Lord of the Flies. 
Actually, if, if you translate the name literally, it's Lord of the Dung Beetles. Who, who wants to be called that, right? It's definitely a term that's meant to ridicule. And by saying that Jesus is getting his authority from the Lord of the Dung Beetles, well, they're showing an absolute disrespect for Jesus as well. So some are saying that Jesus is working for Beelzebul, the prince of demons. But there are others in the crowd who they're not sure what to think. And so in verse 16, they say, or it says, others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. They want more proof. Give us a sign from heaven. Really? Seriously? Like you haven't seen enough at this point? I guess they're kind of like saying, well, if you snap your fingers and a lightning bolt comes down, well, then maybe, maybe we'll believe. Or if, if you can make something happen by calling it out right now, then maybe we won't think you're working for Beelzebub. Now, lest we judge too quickly, there is some biblical basis for this. If we look at Deuteronomy 13, when it's talking about sort of testing the prophets, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you, and announces to you a sign or wonder. And if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, Jesus did that, and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, Jesus did not do that, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, well then you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him, serve him, and hold fast to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. That prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. So maybe they're just using that as their basis for testing Jesus. Maybe they're willing to possibly consider the possibility that Jesus is doing God's work, but they just need to see a little more proof. Show me something more. And I think we can see the same thing in today's culture. People ask, well, why don't we see miracles today? Well, I think we do every day, but they don't recognize it. They don't recognize things like human birth or, or healing from cancer or even just healing from any type of disease or even just life in general, just waking up and taking a breath. All these things are miracles. They're all things that God is doing to make us whole. They don't recognize these things as miracles, though. Or you'll hear people say that if, if God's real, well, why doesn't he just come down here and wipe out all this pain and sorrow? Well, just, just give him time. Be patient. That's going to happen. Or they'll say, well, I would believe in God if he would just pop in and pay us a visit like that George Burns movie. I don't know if you remember George Burns as God in a movie. I mean, even then people, people didn't. What would you expect him to come as? You know, I mean, there again, what does he have to look like for you it's kind of hidden, but does he have to look like those European paintings 
for you to be able to recognize him? What if he came as a 15-year-old boy? You probably wouldn't believe him if he told you that's who he was. If he was an 89-year-old man, or however old George Burns was at the time, what's it going to take? You know, what would it take? Show me something. And this concept, these, these people who are wanting to see more, it's this kind of a sitting-on-the-fence type of attitude. But it can affect Christians as well. There are some Christians that... You know, they'll say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and I, I believe that he performed a lot of miracles while he was here on earth, but why don't I see him doing anything today? And my answer would be, because you're not paying attention. So the Pharisees have questioned Jesus' authority. Now Jesus clarifies his authority. And he doesn't come back with some kind of emotional, heated response. I mean, they just, they just said that he's working for the devil. I mean, he could come back with some real righteous indignation and just lay into them, right? And probably not even be sinning while he's doing it. But he doesn't do that. Very level-headedly, very calmly, he comes back with logic. He hits them with logic. And I love that because my, my past has been in computers and everything was yes or no, zero or one. You know, everything is very binary and it is or it isn't. And so using logic is always, always good. He hits them with some logic then in verse 17. He starts off, Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. Now that might sound familiar to any of you history buffs because Abraham Lincoln used that. He kind of mashed the two together and put it in together in one line. 1858, after he won his seat in the U.S. Senate, he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So the concept is understood. It was true in Jesus' time. It was true during one of our country's darkest periods. And it's still true today. And not just in government either. Denominations and congregations are affected by this all the time. When there are two groups that are strongly opposed, we've seen denominations split. We've seen congregations break apart. So if a house, if a denomination, if a congregation is divided against itself, it will fall. It's an army's most basic strategy, right? And it's one of Satan's strongest maneuvers. Divide and conquer. It's a concept that everybody can understand, so Jesus uses that basic concept as the foundation for his logical defense. He continues then in verses 18 and 19. So if Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. And he thinks he, I think he pauses here then. He says, now, now if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. Jesus is pointing out that Satan's goal is to destroy, but Jesus is healing. He's reversing the effect of, of Satan's destruction. And so if Satan's army is going to be divided, his 
kingdom would be more likely to fall. That means if Jesus was working for Satan, by rever- but reversing the effects of Satan, well then Satan's kingdom would be divided. And that just doesn't make any sense. And then he hits him with another point. And Jesus is like the perfect person to have on a debate team. He knows that, they, that there are other Jewish exorcists. He knows these Pharisees have others that they know who are performing exorcisms as well, driving out demons. So he asks, well, by the way, under whose authority are those guys driving out demons? I think what he's saying is he's using logic. He says, if you're saying that you have to be working for the prince of demons in order to have control over the demons, well, then you must be saying that your exorcists are working for Beelzebub as well. Mic drop. Boom. He's like, So if Jesus is not working under Satan's authority, well, then what's left? Well, there's only one other option. He's working under God's authority. In verse 20, he says, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. There's no third option. It's either Satan or God. And he says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying, I'm here. I'm the one that everyone's been talking about. The one you've been waiting for. The kingdom of God is where God's presence is. And he says, here I am. Right here it is. Then Jesus provides a very short little parable to clarify what just happened. It's kind of a Wizard of Oz moment where he He sort of gives a peek behind the curtain. We get to hear what's happening behind the scenes in the spiritual realm. In verses 21 and 22 then, he says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. So who's the strong man in this parable? Well, that's Satan. Who's the stronger man? Jesus. Who's the stronger man? Who's the stronger man? Who's always the stronger man? All right, praise God. (laughs) Jesus is stronger than anything or anyone that you are going to come up against. You need to live with that security. Jesus is making it very clear that the miracle he just performed shows his superior strength over Satan. So it also shows that Jesus isn't working with the devil or for the devil. He works against him. In this little parable then, Satan's demon had taken possession, or not, excuse me, not in the parable, but in the actual event, Satan's demon had taken possession of that man's body, as he equates it to the, to the parable. But Jesus, being stronger, being the stronger man, he attacked and he, and he plundered Satan's possession, which was the man who was mute, who now speaks. Satan destroys, Jesus rescues. Satan ruins life, Jesus gives life. 
Satan binds and Jesus sets free. John 10, 10 says, Jesus saying, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or some translations say, to have it abundantly. And then our last verse in this story this morning is Jesus' invitation to claim his authority. Verse 23 says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. It's a powerful statement. You're either with me or against me, he says. Now you say, well, I certainly don't worship the devil, but I'm not real sure about Jesus yet either. I'm kind of in the middle right now. No, you're not. There is no middle ground. There are only two options, Jesus and Satan. Back in 1980, the band Rush had a song called Free Will. It's kind of a spiritual song, discusses whether things just happen or whether they're kind of in control. Maybe we'll have the praise band sing a little Rush one week. Man, that'll really... People ask us, are you contemporary or traditional? Man, you can't get more contemporary. We're singing Rush on Sunday morning. I don't think we'll do that. But anyhow, this song, you ought to look it up. (laughs) Look at the lyrics. Because... One of the things it says in there, these words of wisdom it has in there, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. You can't hear it without, without singing it. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. I know it sounds a little baffling, but it's so relevant to today's message. Because somebody might say, well, well, I certainly want to go to heaven, but I'm not ready to make a decision about Jesus just yet. Well, you just did. You just decided to stay against Jesus. You see, by default, we start out in Jesus against Jesus. We start out against Jesus. We start off in Satan's camp. So when we say, I'm not going to decide anything, you just decided to just hang out there in Satan's camp. You need to move out of that one camp and into the other it's very simple. Just, just commit to Jesus, but it has to be a conscious decision. It's like the Capital One commercials. It should be the easiest decision in the history of decisions. But it is one that has to be made. You see, there's a spiritual battle being fought for your soul. And there are only two sides, two armies, two generals, if you will. Jesus and Satan. Romans 10.9 tells us that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all you have to do to move from one camp to the other. All you have to do to choose Jesus as your general. But you have to do it. And so if you haven't confessed and believed, then you haven't chosen Jesus. And by default, you are against him. Now, maybe the idea of spiritual battle is not something you can relate to. Maybe you can think more about it as a spiritual chess match. Do we have anybody who plays chess or at least knows how to play chess? Okay. The objective 
in chess, you at least know what the board looks like and you know the player, the pieces. The objective is to take the opponent's queen, right? That's how you win. It's called a checkmate. If you're able to, to, to use one of your players to step on that queen and, and take her. How many of you know how to play chess? <laughs> The queen is the most powerful. She can move anywhere. And so, yes, you're trying to capture... Why did I say queen? You try to capture the opponent's king. Okay, thank you. So, yes, yeah, see, more of you know about chess than you thought. I was just testing. No, that's, I should... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I was not just testing. I made a mistake. So, anyhow, <laughs> the king. Yes, you're trying, you're trying to, uh, to capture the opponent's king. If you do, it's called checkmate. That's how you win. Now, there is... And correct me if I'm wrong, there is another way to, to end the game. If you're able, if you're, if you're playing against a stronger opponent and you see that they're just taking pieces right and left, sometimes you'll try to work your king into the corner and maybe you have one other pawn or something like that, but you can just find a way to move back and forth between the, the colored spots that you're able to, to be in and then that person can't actually take you without moving into a position where they can be taken. And you get in this thing where it just never ends. And that's called a stalemate. The stalemate is if, you know, you don't lose, but you also don't win. And it's something that you might try to do if you're playing against a stronger person. Well, in this spiritual chess match that's going on between Jesus and Satan... Satan knows that Jesus is much stronger. So Satan would be very happy with a stalemate if there's no decision. Or like in boxing, a no decision or something like that. Because it means that he doesn't lose you. That's what happens when you don't make a decision. It's just a stalemate situation. And you remain in Satan's camp. And Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. If you don't make a decision, you're still against Jesus. And that's not where any of us want to be. You need to make your declaration of him dependence. Declare that the prince of darkness is unfit to be your ruler. Declare that Jesus is Lord. The kingdom of God is not just some kind of a metaphor. It is real. It's a kingdom, it's a community where God's presence and God's reign and rule are so dominant in our life that we want to honor him in everything that we do and we say. You need to make a decision. Are you for him or are you against him? So let's sing about this decision together now. If you're able I invite you to stand. We're going to sing hymn 449. It's called, Who is on the Lord's Side?
the strong man? A stronger man. All right. So who is on the Lord's side? We are. All right. Boy, let's just end. May, May you leave here with the confidence and the security of being on the Lord's side. May you show others the joy of being on the Lord's side. And may you inspire others to come over to the Lord's side. And while doing all of this, may the Lord bless you and protect you. In the name of the Father, and of the Spirit, and of the Son. Amen.